consists of 66 books of history, poetry, prophecy, proclamation, action, instruction, and revelation. It's written in three different languages over a span of 1,500 years, written by 40 different authors who were shepherds, farmers, tent makers, doctors, fishermen, kings, priests, and philosophers on three different continents. It's the best-selling book of all time with over 5 billion copies sold. We've had it in English since 1382 when John Wycliffe translated it for us. It's available in nearly 2,500 languages. Just for comparison, Shakespeare is in about 50. And owning one will get you executed in some countries. We call it the Bible. And you've got one, if you read the email, in your hands today. Who's got one today? Let me see, let me see. All right, throwback. It's cool. Makes me feel like the old days. Um, might even hear some rustling of pages today. That would be awesome. Um, instead of the app sounds. Um, but I want you to bring your Bible today um, because we're talking about the Bible. Uh, and I think it's just kind of appropriate. Um, but also just want it to be in your hands. I just wanted us to, to have... Uh, some tactile thing going on here with, with uh, the Bible today. So we'll have, still have stuff on the screen uh, if you didn't bring it. Uh, I think there is one extra one back there on the back. We used to have like Bibles like all over the place when, uh, I, think, I guess when we were over in the Hilton, I think we bought them. And uh, we've got one left. I don't know. I guess that's a good thing. People took them. Um, but there's, there's one back there. It's the commemorative Com Church Bible. Okay. Um, you know, when, what we've done in here for the last 18 and a half years, um, uh, consistently, whether it's been here or at the Hilton or wherever we've been, school, we've read it, we've taught it, we've preached it, uh, really every week except for those evil Super Bowl Sundays when we took off. Um, but we, we take the Bible seriously in, uh, in what we're doing here. We, we allot this time uh, in our gathering to be able to, uh, to teach and to learn from it. But I think that the Bible in Calm Church life over the years has taken a little bit of uh, uh, heat. Um, most of us who started the church kind of came out of church backgrounds where the Bible was uh, a big deal for sure, but it was kind of like uh, misused in some ways. Um, it was maybe... Um, uh, even seemed to be something that it uh, didn't need to be and almost like worshipped itself uh, as, uh, as something that it really never claimed uh, to be itself. Um, and so when we, we started the church, we really had a desire to like understand church and understand the, uh, the Bible's place in uh, a community of faith and how we were supposed to uh, function with it and, and learn from it and grow from it, but uh, we wanted it to speak for itself, and we wanted it to speak uh, without all the baggage that maybe we had uh, had had with it. Um, you know, where where I came from, it seemed like the more knowledge you had of the Bible, uh, it was almost like the closer you were to sainthood, like you were godlike if you 
like really, really knew the Bible. And so that was kind of the goal of everybody uh, around there. It was like to just know more scripture. And so uh, every time we would get together, you know, it, it would always be a Bible study. And so uh, when we kind of broke away from some of those traditions, we began to maybe experience some freedom. But uh, we'll talk about, you know, kind of what, what maybe uh, are some of the outcomes of that. Um, as I said, we've always taught from and given the Bible a prominent place in our gatherings. But uh, I think in our small group time, uh, we, this is where we kind of maybe swung the pendulum a little bit and said, you know what, we can uh, just get together, right? We're believers and we know the Bible and we don't have to have a Bible study just because we're a bunch of Christians gathered intentionally. We could actually talk and we could actually like get to know one another and we could actually like share what's going on in our lives and really maybe even apply some of those things that we've learned from the Bible all these years. It was almost a feeling of like, we, we know a lot already, don't we? we? We need to start like talking about how we're supposed to live it out instead of just like gaining more and more. I mean, that's kind of dangerous in reality. Like the more we know, the more we're, we're responsible for. So maybe in some ways there was a little bit of a, like, let's put the brakes on that so we're not responsible for so much and just kind of try to catch up to what we already know and live some of that out. And so I think that's kind of the flavor of our small group gatherings as we began uh, church uh, 18 or so years ago. Um, I think we had felt like we had, most of us, a, a pretty good amount of Bible knowledge uh, under our belts, and we were ready to, to kind of dig in to life with one another. And that was transformative. That was a big deal. Uh, it, was, uh, it was so life-giving to be able to, to sit and to do that and, and to experience life with other believers in that way. Um, but over time, I think what's happened in calm church life is we've drifted a little bit. We've gotten really good at loving one another. We can sit down and share and we can talk and all that comes easy about uh, being, well, um, for the most part, easy about being vulnerable with one another. It's kind of a, a norm for us. Um, and and we, we, we hurt with each other well, but I don't know that that has helped us long-term and as far as where we are uh, today uh, to grow a tremendous amount in our understanding of really how to speak to one another and to receive the truth of Scripture uh, in, our, in our times with one another. Uh, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen or that it uh, isn't a part of your com groups, but I think generally speaking that... Uh, it, it, it is something that has kind of crept in over the years. And it may be uh, that we have people with less baggage or, or, with, uh, or with no baggage uh, from past church experience or no church experience uh, with the Bible. And so uh, with that, there wasn't the same kind of interaction that was even uh, able to take place. And so... Uh, yes, we, we, uh, we've taught it in here consistently, but maybe we haven't talked about it enough when we've gathered together and we've kind of gone to other things. Sometimes really superficial things, right? I mean, we've all had those com, com groups where we didn't get very far and we walked away probably thinking, I still like these people, this is great, but I don't know that I'm really growing 
uh, in the Lord as a result of that conversation that we just had. It was fun and it was funny and uh, I don't feel like I wasted my time even, but it just, I don't know that it's spurring me on towards love and good deeds, as the Bible says, uh, we're to be growing. So um, that uh, might be our reality, it might not, um, but I, I do think that it's time that we acknowledge there is a certain amount of that in us, and, uh, and in that, uh, look back to the Bible and, and try to rediscover and reimagine how it's supposed to be a part of us in some new ways. I don't think we're in danger as I teach today. I'm not, I mean, there's a lot of ways with this scripture that we're going to be in today, uh, which is not that one. Where'd that come from? Is that yours, Jeff? <laughs> okay. That's a good scripture, but um, we're in this one today. Matthew chapter 5. Um, I don't, I don't think that as we uh, go the direction that we're going today, um, that we're in danger of uh, replacing the Holy Spirit in our midst with the Bible as kind of the third person of the Trinity. Uh, that's something that I felt like was taking place in some of uh, my past church experience growing up, that it was given such a prominent place that, and the Holy Spirit was so not that uh, it, it felt like that at times. Um, but I do think that we could be in danger of missing his voice uh, by not listening to him more through scripture. And so I think God wants to kind of point us back today to a greater appreciation for the book that you hold in your hand uh, that we call the Bible. Um, I think for us most recently it started, or at least for me, as I kind of try to think about what God's doing f with us and through us and for us, um, I look back and think about um, Brock talking about uh, kind of really making a plea to us to make sure that we uh, keep the gospel central to all that we do uh, in, in, in our church life together. Um, I think it's continued, and I've seen some really cool things, especially with the ladies and, and some of the, the scripture reading uh, and memorizing that, uh, that you guys have been doing. Um, just recently, we've, we've said, you know, hey, here's some questions from com, for com groups based on the sermon. So we're trying to, like, connect what we're doing in here to your discussions. And so hopefully more of that from a, a biblical standpoint is being brought out in com groups, or at least uh, we're making it more available uh, as kind of the norm for, for what we're doing in life together. And uh, I think that's been good and heard some good stuff about that. Um, and so I think that calling us back to the Bible uh, is going to become even clearer through the scripture that we have to happen to be in today as we look at uh, applying Jesus's uh, teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we've been doing for several weeks now. So we're here in uh, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 17, uh, and it is probably the most important passage in the whole Bible about the Bible. So it's a pretty big deal. Uh, and we've alluded to uh, Jesus talking like this already in the Beatitudes and in, uh, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, but it, it becomes very clear in this passage of Scripture uh, just how important um, the Bible is. And so uh, these four verses that we're going to look at are going to basically give us four what I think are essential truths about the importance of the Bible. 
in our lives. So let's look at verse 17 to start with. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is Jesus talking. Um, and uh, not sure of the circumstance here. It's kind of abrupt that he's, nobody like said anything. He, he's not responding to, to any actual question here that we know of. But uh, it's likely that he has already been accused of um, like disregarding or even disobeying the Torah, the law uh, that, that uh, the Jews had, or that he was anticipating that he was going to be accused of this. And so he addresses it and says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I've, 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 and, and when he says law and prophets, he's basically saying what we refer to as the Old Testament. Uh, they didn't have the entire Old Testament in the way that we have it today, but they had most of it, uh, and it was, uh, it was a recognized kind of thing. That, uh, when, and so when you said law and prophets, the law being the Torah, the prophets being uh, Isaiah and uh, Elijah, you know, speaking on uh, behalf of God, and so that era of, um, of God's people's lives. Uh, as they related to God. Um, and so he is, is addressing, like, don't think that I've come to like, get rid of all that stuff because that stuff is what uh, the, the whole basis of life um, in God's uh, economy, God's way of doing things with his people is based upon. And so uh, he is making it clear that he isn't here to disregard it. But he says something incredibly shocking, uh, and, and he makes probably the most radical declaration that he could ever make in his day, that he is the fulfillment of all that stuff. He's saying this, didn't call it the Bible, but the, the, the law and the prophets, he, he's saying, I, I'm, I'm here to fulfill that. You're looking at him. Um, that was earth-shattering to his hearers. Matthew's gospel speaks over and over again of the many ways in which Jesus' life and actions fulfilled what had already been foretold. So um, this, is, this is just an uh, incredibly scandalous claim that Jesus is making uh, because what he's saying is that everything in their entire history, everything that they've always known and studied and thought about uh, in relationship to God has come to completion in him. And he could have said, hey, uh, I'm uh, equal to Moses. I'm as great as Moses, so you should listen to me. Okay, I'm kind of a new Moses. Uh, or I'm as great as Elijah. You should listen to me. Uh, but he's not even making that. That would have been pretty big. But he's saying he is Torah. He is prophecy. He is the law. Uh, our Western Protestant evangelical 2017 minds cannot fully grasp what hearing this would be like. But if they could, I guarantee you, they would be blown, completely blown, because this was so radical to his hearers. Jesus is the goat here, as the kids say. 
I mean, it's what, that's what he's saying. I'm the greatest of all time. I, you, it has arrived in me. Everything that makes sense about life. I mean, this isn't like the LeBron MJ comparison. You know, uh, we're not trying to, to figure out who is, is really the greatest. He, if, if LeBron or Michael Jordan is greater, and then somebody else walks in the room and, and says, hey, okay, you guys, I'll give you that, whatever you're talking about, but I am basketball. <laughs> okay, like, what do you say to that? Like, how, you know, if, if you've ever seen Barbershop and you see the guys arguing about Rocky Marciano and Joe Lewis, I mean, I don't recommend watching because I did today and I didn't, I'd forgotten all the bad language in it, but, uh, but it just, it reminded me of that, like, what about this? Like, Rocky Marciano beat Joe Lewis. Oh, y'all got to go there. Like, Jesus went there. He said, I'm it. I am the fulfillment of the law. I am the law. End of conversation. There is no way that anything trumps that. I have arrived. And history from this point will never be the same. I am that history. I am fulfilling. I have fulfilled in your presence. What do you do with that? You either either give your life to that or you passively or actively crucify that. I mean, you've got to go one direction or the other. Like, if, if what he is saying is true, then you have to do one of those two things, and that's exactly what happened. Um, so Bible truth number one for us out of verse 17 is that the Bible is important to us because it is the story of Jesus, the entire thing. Everything in the Old Testament was not history. Everything in the Old Testament was about Jesus. And as we go back and read it, we read it as the story of Jesus. We don't just read it to, to get some interesting facts about what life was for, for God's people long ago. It, it's the story of Jesus from beginning to end. It's not just the New Testament. The Old Testament is the story of Jesus. So that's the first truth about um, the Bible for us today. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. And the Hebrew equivalent is yod, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That's what, this is an iota. It's our I, basically. And this is a yod. That's the the Hebrew. Um, And he He's saying that those little things, the, the detail of the law, uh, all that's going to be fulfilled. Uh, Jewish scribes back in Jesus' day uh, paid great attention to the detail of copying the manuscripts. And so um, what they would do is they would number every single letter, every word, Every sentence, every paragraph, every chapter, every section, every scroll to make sure that the total of all that equaled the same as the original that they were copying from. 
And that's partly how we can rely on and, and trust in, because we know about the painstaking detail that they took to, uh, to copy the manuscripts, even though we don't have the original one. Um, but they would do that uh, so, and, and wouldn't approve of it until like, all that was checked out uh, for it to be able to actually go into the Holy Synagogue, to be used in the Holy Synagogue, the, the scrolls read uh, in worship. We use that terminology today. You know, every I dotted, every T crossed. Uh, iota is a word we still use uh, to talk about detail. Um, and um, and the dot of this uh, way of thinking, I'll, let me move over here just to show you. This little tip of the yod right here is basically the dot. It's just a tiny stroke of the pen of the scribe that would, would be included. And, and he's saying every detail, even that little, just that little uptick of uh, the, the stroke of the pen, um, all of that, uh, I am coming to fulfill. Everything, every detail is true, and it will come to pass. So his claim is uh, what we would say is eschatological, uh, which means that history is going to culminate in and through Jesus. That means that Jesus is declaring once and for all in this moment that Scripture is true, that it's right, that it's going to stand the test of time, and that he is going to fulfill it all, every single detail. So since we know that Jesus is referring to what's basically our Old Testament, I'm making the assumption today, if you haven't already uh, caught on to that, that, that what we now understand and include in what we call our canon of Scripture, uh, the, the, in canon, when you, if, when you hear that around church uh, and Bible talk, it, it's, it's the rule of, of Scripture or uh, like a ruler, uh, a measuring stick. It's, it's, uh, it's measured up. It's uh, passed the test for what should be included in Scripture. So that's what the word canon means. So in our canon of Scripture, uh, I'm including the New Testament as well, even though Obviously, Jesus did not have the New Testament at that time. He's basically writing that. Um, but, but since basically around the second century and for sure by the fourth century, we've had that. We've had a collection of these books that we call the Bible. And so um, Bible truth number two for us as we kind of uh, look uh, out of verse 18 is that Jesus says that every single bit of it is true and it will be realized in and through him. Knowing the Bible, and this is where we can get off track with this, uh, knowing the Bible doesn't necessarily equal knowing Jesus. Although I do think if you have a proper understanding of the Bible, uh, that you should come pretty close. But knowing him, knowing Jesus, does involve knowing the story that speaks of him, right? Um, I mean, I knew my dad. My dad passed away when I was 21 years old, uh, so I, I had enough like, life with him to, to really know him. And I, I'm his kid, right? I, I probably knew him better than most people. But uh, it, uh, like at his funeral, uh, being able to sit with some of his World War II buddies and hear stories about a man that you know existed 
far before I was ever around. Uh, it was really enlightening, and it's really good to hear and get to know him even better, right? Uh, and, and so uh, engaging with the, the, the whole story is important. And uh, Jesus says, it's all about me. It's all true, and it's all going to be realized through me. So uh, verse 19, moving on. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, so if we didn't get it, you know, in verse 18, we're going to get it in verse 19. Whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what is, is Jesus saying here about like who gets in or not? Are, are there two levels in the kingdom? Are there, are there some people that are going to be like kind of down at the bottom and then others at the more, you know, top of the, the ladder? Um, or is Jesus speaking in kind of a, what would be considered a common style back then of, of contrast and compare that would lead us to hear him say something more like those uh, who get in and those who don't? It was just kind of a nicer way of saying it, uh, least in the kingdom and greatest in the kingdom. Um, Matthew 7, maybe, you know, a little bit further down, Jesus says this and maybe shed some light for us on what he meant. Because he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So clearly Jesus has in his imagination uh, and in his reality that, uh, that people could be out. So he's not saying uh, necessarily in, in verse uh, 19 here that there is uh, kind of a, a level, two-level system of people getting in. He is probably saying that there are those on the outside, and there's those on the end. And that uh, is um, Bible truth number three for us, is that following Jesus through the Bible has eternal implications. So uh, we, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's important. It's serious. It's uh, not really an option. It's something that we should be looking at with uh, great attention to detail, to want to know what the Bible says, um, because Jesus says, knowing me, knowing me through that uh, has eternal implications. So this raises the bar for us to know that, to know scripture, to learn, to grow, uh, and, it, and it serves as a sober warning for those of us who teach it, to do it properly, and to do it carefully. And so... Um, Our seriousness about the Bible uh, must be in place in a true biblical community. Uh, we can't just take a little bit and then run with it. We have to keep going back to it, keep wanting to know more about who Jesus was and how that's revealed to us in Scripture. So verse 20 ends it with, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness basically means how we live, 
the way that we live. N.T. Wright calls it our covenant behavior. The Pharisees happened to be the really good example of Jesus' day of people who were doing everything that they could to live a perfect life. Now, they get a bad rap, and we, you know, talk bad about the Pharisees a lot, but not all of them were necessarily bad. They weren't necessarily coming with a heart that was wrong. Uh, They were striving to do what God said to do, to do it His way. Um, They dedicated their lives to, to doing what we read earlier, to obeying every iota of the law. They just kind of lost it and from the heart standpoint. Um, they had developed a system of like 613 different laws that kept you following the law, the Torah. Uh, so what does the scripture like this mean to us? Are we supposed to like come up with like 700 or 1,000 and obey all those so that we're greater than the Pharisees? Would that help us like, to check the boxes? Because we like to check boxes. We want to check boxes. We want to know that we've done it, right? Um, so how do we make sense of this? What does it mean for our righteousness to exceed theirs? It means uh, that it has to be deeper. It has to be deeper than theirs was can't be just more. I'm not going for, for quantity here. We're going for the quality. It has to be deeper than their righteousness. It's what John Stott calls a new heart righteousness. That's what Jesus is coming to say in, in, in this time, uh, in, in the way that we're going to see that unfold and uh, some actual examples uh, in the pages ahead as we look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, Thad taught about Jesus' command to, for us to be light to the world. And he had us ask uh, uh, some questions. And one of those questions was this, are my good works and efforts to be light, deeply rooted in what pleases the Lord, so that they point people to the goodness and hope of Jesus? And I would submit today that being deeply rooted in what pleases the Lord is found in this book. It's how we can know that stuff. Yes, it's written here, but those roots that have taken place, that have taken hold in our, in our hearts because of the work of Jesus are fertilized and watered with uh, the truth of Scripture for us today. And so Bible truth number four is that the Bible is important to us because it calls the followers of Jesus to a deeper and deeper righteousness. And what that looks like, uh, we're going to see in in these examples that follow, uh, anger being the one uh, next week, and then uh, several others that will give some practical uh, kind of help with how we make sense of this in our world. Um, But what it generally looks like is found in Jesus' answer about the great commandment. Uh, to love the Lord our God with all of our being and to love those around us in the same way that we want to be loved. What it means is that we need to keep reading and studying the Bible with a heart for the kind of righteous living that is an increasingly brighter and brighter or truer and truer reflection of Jesus to the world around us. As we read Scripture, 
and see Jesus in Scripture and learn and grow in who He is, understanding of how the way of Jesus works. We should be becoming brighter and brighter, and more, more like Jesus, in other words. Um, my kids have recently gotten sucked into watching Lost. Uh, started with Sydney, barring somebody's Netflix or something. She stumbled onto it. I didn't say, hey, you should watch Lost. It's you know, a coming-of-age experience or something, because... I wasted seven years of my life on it. Um, but she got hooked on it and couldn't, like, she would take her laptop with her and watch it. It was, like, unhealthy. Uh, but she was at college, so what was I going to do? Um, well, I watched it. it didn't, we didn't have Netflix. We couldn't binge watch it. We didn't have a DVR. I think we were, like, basically setting, you know, a, it was a date night to watch Lost every Thursday night or whatever it came on, uh, and, and maybe even record it if we couldn't be there with the old VCR. Um, I've never rewatched it. I've never gone back and wanted to waste all that time again. Um, but as now Nathan is watching it, and then now Sarah Kate has gotten uh, hooked on it, but they're at two different places, so they're often on two different TVs watching different episodes. And I, so I go from one room, and I see this, and I go to the other room, and Ashley and I are just like, what is going on in our house? Um, we Pray for us. We should probably get control of that at some point. Um, but it's interesting as I walk by to see the little bits and pieces of it and be reminded of, oh, and try to like figure out, and every once in a while I'll say something wrong, like, oh, have you seen the polar bears yet? What? Dad, no, the polar bears. We don't know what that is. Um, but, uh, but knowing how it ends and watching it again is pretty interesting to, to see like, just the details of how uh, they are working out problems and talking and uh, just all that's going on in, in the, the, the plot uh, in those early years before it got really strange. Um, but the same is true. I mean, some of you are Harry Potter fans. Uh, maybe your kids are reading those now and you're rereading them with them. Maybe you're seeing the movies. I didn't I skip the books. I just watched the movies. But so when watching the movies again and knowing how, you know, where it goes, it's pretty interesting to see, like, uh, the, the other part, you know, those earlier parts of the story. Same is true of the Bible. When we reread it, uh, knowing the end, and, and the Bible is much more powerful and miraculous and thought-provoking and life-giving than Harry Potter or Lost, right? And, and the ending is so much better. And it's actually true. So we got that to work with also. So when we reread it and engage with it in those ways, it's uh, an amazing book. It's an amazing story. We have more access to the Bible and more resources to help us understand the Bible in our world today than we've ever had in history. And yet, statistically, it's read less and less. If you got your Bible today, I want you to pick it up. Hold it in your hand. I, I really believe, church, that, the Bible, that, that Jesus wants us to get reacquainted with this book or more acquainted with it. Um, so my encouragement is, is don't take it home 
and just put it back where, wherever you found it. Um, read it. Reread it as the life-giving story of Jesus that it is. And let his Holy Spirit illuminate those words in powerful and fresh ways for you every day. I've got some questions for com groups. I might have some more, but I'm going to put these up here and we'll just kind of start with these. Um, what baggage, if any, do I carry as I approach the Bible? And what I need to better work through that? What, what's causing me to not really want to go there anymore? What? Um, how can I engage in meaningful Bible reading as the story of Jesus this week. I thought about like giving you some recommendations and coming up with the Common Church Bible reading plan, but I don't want to do that. I want, I'd love to get some emails though, or, or have some conversations about like, hey, what, what do you think would be good f for me? Uh, I haven't really done this in a while, or I, I, I don't know much about this part of the Bible or whatever. I, I'd like it to be personal. I'd like it to be real for you and not just be some rote thing. Uh, because I hate those things. Yes, Jen, you have? Yes, you can. <laughs> this has always really confused me because he says, like, I came to fulfill, like, you can't abolish all these laws. And, like, one of the laws is, like, you can't eat shrimp and stuff like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> no. Um, that's one of those things that we've, with the Holy Spirit, we've got to work out. Like, and and it, there's, there's other ones that aren't as trivial as, as whether we eat shrimp or not. And there's some that are even weirder than that. Like, what do I do? What do I do with, like, I, I can't boil a goat in the mother's milk? What? I, I was planning on doing that. It ruined my day. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff in there and how, how, we, uh, how Jesus came to fulfill that. Uh, I, I think in the, the weeks ahead, as we break down some like, actual stuff of life, like anger and lust and uh, idolatry, uh, uh, things that um, we're, we're going to have to see. And the, the apostles struggle with this. The, the, the early disciples struggle with this. Um, how do I... Be a, I'm a Jew, right? And, and I am being asked to like, take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles say, hey, you're my guest. I want you to eat this. Well, wait a second. I'm, I'm a Jew. I, I, don't, I don't eat that. And so it's, they had to struggle with that stuff. And so, yeah, there's some, there's some teachings all, along those lines. But I, I think the important thing is as we encounter that, to look at so what does that mean for me, and then to, to break that down with our community, with the Bible as a part of that community, which is one of the questions I've got, like uh, to inform us, uh, the whole Bible. And so I don't know if that helped any, but uh, it's, it's all going to be different. Like, and we may land in a place, you know, uh, together, that is different than maybe some of our other brothers and sisters in the world. And uh, we've got to be able to, to know that we made sense of that with the Holy Spirit and uh, in the scripture and not just like, oh, we just felt like doing it this way. You know, if we can seriously look at what God taught about not eating something or eating something that we're supposed to, and then make that informed decision in the power of the Holy Spirit, then yeah, I'm, I'm all for that.
when we just let culture influence us or uh, we just go crazy with our freedom without paying attention to really knowing the story, then I think we miss a lot of, of the power. So, great question. Um, which brings up, uh, this is not one of my questions, but just kind of ask yourself, uh, do I even ever read the Old Testament? I mean, do I just kind of like skip over that part because I really like the New Testament. Um, do I read the Bible for what I want it to say or am I really seeking to conform to the way of Jesus? Uh, how do we approach the Bible? Like what, what is our uh, reason for reading it in the first place? A lot of times we just like want to use it to to prove what we already think is true. And so we're going to manipulate Scripture if we're not careful. Uh, if, if we just come to it and say, Jesus, like, teach me. Like, I just, I, Holy Spirit, I want, I want to receive. I want to know what, what the truth is. Uh, we're in a much better place. And then related to this is how often uh, do I pick and choose the words of the Bible instead of reading it in context or not skipping the parts that I don't like or understand? Um, maybe you got a lot of knowledge. Do you sound like a jerk <laughs> to people? Um, or, or do you sound like a true reflection of Jesus? Because again, like the point is not to just know the Bible, right? It's to reflect Jesus back. So ask yourself, or maybe better yet, ask some other people around you. Is that me? I don't want to be that way. Um, and then last, uh, how can my comm group make the Bible a more vocal member of our weekly gathering? All right, um, that is going to come forward, and we're going to say the pledge to the Bible, and then Josh will lead us in a rousing rendition of B-I-B-L-E.